Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Legal Brief. I'm Misty Maris, and I'm joined by my executive producer, Lauren Mincer-Clark. And today, we have a special Housewives legal episode. Housewives, suddenly, it's a true crime series. <laughs> it really is. There's so much going on. There's lots of housewives and former housewives, and they're all in the news with these legal dramas surrounding them. So we're going to go through it all. Lauren, tell us what we got. Yes. I mean, well, I mean, it was a big week on Bravo. Andy just got his star on the uh, Hollywood Walk of Fame. John Mayer even brought up several housewives in his speech, including some of the legal dramas. So I feel like this was a perfect time for us to kind of break it all down because there's actually updates in all of the cases that we've been following, plus some others that have come out in the news. So I wanted to just dive right in. We obviously have to start with Erica Jane. We've... uh, it's the one that we've been covering along with Jen Shaw, of course. But Erica Jane, I just wanted to update because she had a huge victory last week. And so, Misty, can you tell us about what happened there? Yeah, I definitely want to break this down because the way that it has been written in news articles and the way that her team has spun it is that exactly what you said, Lauren, there was a huge victory. But there's an asterisk by that because Mm. while a complaint was dismissed against her, that is true. It was dismissed without prejudice, which means it can be refiled. So let's just go back and take everybody through this because it's a little complicated with the Erica Jane and Tom Girardi situation. There are multiple cases going on at the same time. Mm-hmm. So it's really important to understand where this dismissal of a case in this was a federal court in Illinois. So it was dismissed against her, but it's not dismissed in a way that it, it, it's it's over. It's definitely mm-hmm. not over. It can be resurrected at any time. So let's go through some of the details. Um, back in December of 2020, a law firm Edelson PC sued Tom Girardi on behalf of the families of the Lion Air crash victims. Now, Edelson PC was co-counsel with Girardi and his firm, Girardi and Keese, on the Lion Air crash case. So the Lion Air case was a terrible tragedy, airplane crash. I mean, the people, mm-hmm. uh, everybody, everybody involved in that crash is deceased. And so the families were seeking restitution. And it was a huge case. Uh, it resulted in a very, very large settlement. And if you recall, the allegation is that Girardi Keese skimmed from the settlement proceeds of that case and took about $2 million, which should have gone towards victims. Victims. So Edelson PC is a is a law firm that's located in Chicago. So that, that's why this case is, is venued in Illinois. So they were following up with Tom Girardi. This firm was following up with Tom Girardi. They found out that the clients hadn't received the money. They kept following up with Tom Girardi. And the allegation is that he kept putting them off. He kept putting them off and saying, oh, I'll get it. Oh, I have it. Oh, making excuses mm-hmm. basically as to why the settlement had not been paid. And so eventually uh, Edelson PC sued Girardi for contempt of court. And if you remember, Lauren, that's that testimony that came out where Tom Girardi said, I used to have 30 million. Or ah, yes, yes. Yeah. And he, and he said that in court and he said he didn't have the money to pay that settlement. So that was 
when all of this was coming to the forefront. So there had been allegations against Tom Girardi and his firm for years and years, but many of them just weren't, and they weren't necessarily investigated, that there were pending lawsuits, which hadn't gone to trial. So a lot of these issues hadn't come to the forefront. But this case was really stunning because it was this firm that acted as co-counsel saying, look, we don't know where these funds are. So over two years prior in October, 2018, that's when the Lion Air flight crashed. Uh, and, and there were 189 passengers and crew members. Girardi had been representing all of those victims' all, families. Right. So okay. this is why it's it's such it's, mm-hmm. it's orphans and widows, you know, the, and and, yep. and widowers, and it's it's such a terrible case. Mm-hmm. So this was the ongoing lawsuit. It was filed in Chicago federal court. Representatives of the families of the plane crash victims accused Girardi, and is now a defunct law firm of embezzling two million dollars from the settlement intended for the victims' family. Now, Erica Jane was named in the lawsuit because uh, Edelson PC claimed that Girardi had stolen the funds in order to continue funding his lavish lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And it's this is the same firm. So th- they're, they're heavily invested in this case. In fact, Edelson PC had a lot of questions to answer in the course of that contempt case, the, the very one we were talking about before, Lauren, where, mm-hmm. where we found out that Tom Girardi was basically broke. Right. So he didn't have $50 million. Ha- all plus, the- right. Much of yes. the $2 million he owes. He didn't have it. He didn't yep. have the money. Um, Edelson PC faced a lot of scrutiny from the judge for waiting so long to bring uh, this issue to the court's mm-hmm. attention. And they said that they, you know, basically they had a, they had what they thought was a trusting relationship with Girardi and that they, they didn't want to make this, this type of severe and serious allegation against him until they were sure that the funds weren't there. And so that's all this all unfolds. Uh, Edelson PC one month uh, before the, the suit was filed, Tom Girardi and Erica Jane filed for divorce and it's Edelson PC who came out and said, that's a sham divorce. And an attempt to protect these stolen funds. Um, so then fast forward, there's another lawsuit, not the one we're talking about here, not the one where Erica Jane was dismissed, but there's another lawsuit that alleges Girardi transferred $20 million in loans from his law firm to Erica Jane's company, EJ Global LLC. So that's the background here. Um, so Erica Jane is named in this lawsuit relating to the Lion Air crash victims filed in Chicago. So Edelson PC is continuing to fight for those victims reimbursements. Mm. Um, so then January 29th, fast forward. So this is just last week. Time is going by so fast. So my right. How long ago was that? But yeah, it was just last week. <laughs> right. Uh, 14 months after that lawsuit was first filed. Erica Jane was dismissed from the case. Now, that sounds really great. And her right. lawyers came out and said, this is great. And I think she posted on social media, yep. uh, you know, cheers to a good day or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. But let's explain what happened here. So the lawsuit continues on against Girardi and Keith and Tom Girardi in Chicago. Mm-hmm. A stipulation was entered into between plaintiffs 
and defendants, EJ Global LLC and Erica Girardi. So the plaintiffs agreed and the defense agreed to dismiss the case without prejudice against Erica Jane and EJ Global LLC. But everybody, just because the word dismissed is used doesn't mean that that it mean, that it's over. So without prejudice means that those claims can be resurrected. In short, the reason that this case was dismissed against Erica Jane and EJ Global LLC had to do with a technical jurisdictional issue. Mm. Basically, the argument is that EJ Global LLC and Erica Jane are not subject to jurisdiction in Chicago. Instead, the plaintiffs, Edelstein, Edelson PC, are going to bring that case in California. And they've ah. already that. So they're just going to resurrect the case. Now, the, her it. lawyers have come out and said, in the course of hearings related to the Lion Air crash case, there's been no evidence that has come out. or And Erica Jane's name wasn't even mentioned in the... In the, in the hearings relating to that money and, and the settlement agreement and how the money was supposed to be transmitted and how it was supposed to go to the victims and all of the back and forth between co-counsel Edelson and Girardi and Keith, et cetera, et cetera. That makes perfect sense. The theory of the case against Erica Jane and EJ Global LLC is not that, that she or her company had anything to do with the settlement of that case. Mm-hmm. There, there would be no reason for her to be involved in that. And I would highly doubt that she would have any knowledge or any information about the settlement of that case. That, that would be strictly lawyer. Yeah, right. lawyer and client. The theory of the case Makes against sense. her is that the funds, now, you know, now there's allegations that $20 million was transferred from Girardi Key right. to EJ Global, that they're legally responsible to return the money they have from Lion Air widows and orphans because money that may have gone to her company should have gone to the going to them. So right. I the see. Theory, the right. theory of the case is different. And that's why the lawyers for the plaintiffs have said that we're, they're going to refile this case in California. So look, is it mm-hmm. going to not be a part of a lawsuit? Sure. Does it mean that the lawsuit is over? No. So I think that mm. the way that this, the way that the headlines read isn't yes. really, Interesting. Isn't really the case. Yeah. So um, there, there's definitely going to be more to this uh, as as this case continues to unfold. So it's likely that we're going to see similar claims filed in California. Um, again, really more about the, the funds and how did they end mm-hmm. up in EJ Global? What funds relate to that lawsuit? Were those transferred to EJ Global? Was Erica Jane a beneficiary of them? And look, she may have very good defenses in this case because she's not a part of the underlying fraud. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's this is not over yet. Interesting. And also, Lauren, just to keep, keep in mind, this is separate and apart from the bankruptcy proceeding. Ah, all right. Still forgot that that's hanging out there. Yeah, that's hanging out there. So right, uh, there's a lot more. To come okay, it's, all right. Here, Eric had no role in the Lion Air dealings, right? Right. But was she a benefactor of that money? Did her company receive some of that money that was supposed to go to those victims? So, look, it's actually such a tragedy. I, mm-hmm. I keep thinking this every time I, every time we go through these cases, yep. um, especially this case. And that it's pretty clear that that $2 million is 
is gone. Right. Um, which is insane oh. to think of. And yep. that the way the Horrific. way the settlement agreements work is nothing's left to chance. It's not really oh yeah, you get the money whenever we feel like paying you, or we get you get the money in you know in in installments oh. that we decide. Everything is just predetermined. I mean, right? Those are terms it's all laid out. Yeah, oh. hmm. all of that's laid out in the document. So if it's you know settlement funds are to be distributed in this way within a certain amount of time, time that's all in the documents. Hmm. I mean, that's that's why um, it appears that Girardi just really. He was in a trusted role with clients, mm-hmm. and he he had been able to pump this for a long time. But then you have the eyes of another law firm. By the way, another law firm who could potentially have liability with respect right. to this issue. Ugh. I mean, they're not they're not. I'm not saying they they participated in the fraud. They're not the ones that stole the money. But as I said, they were held but, feet to the fire. Right, responsible sooner. Yeah, so right. Ultimately, those clients get paid. So it's a complicated issue. So. Uh, it's definitely something that we're going to be seeing unfold. And, and Erica Jane continues well, to tape for Real Housewives. Yes. Well, we'll see. Uh, that's exactly what maybe we'll see this because they're taping all right now. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, the other one I want to talk to you about, obviously, is Jen Shaw. We just watched that explosive episode on Sunday, which was maybe one of the craziest episodes that I've maybe ever seen in Real Housewives, to be very honest. But... Um, as we saw that drama unfold, we also saw Jen Shaw meeting with her attorney and brought up because at the time um, when Stuart Smith had been charged with her, you know, he was pleading not guilty. And he brought up this idea that, you know, potentially he could change that in the future, which we know he has. However, Missy, there's also another update that just a couple of days ago, one of the other defendants in this case also changed their plea to guilty, according to court records. Right. Can you talk to us about this? Yeah, so let's break all of this down. I was actually a little shocked to see Jen Shaw in a meeting with her attorney on television. Um, you know, and this is not the first time. She had had another mm-hmm. meeting with him shortly after all of this happened. And look, they didn't talk about anything uh, really specific, and that's on purpose. So right. everybody hears the saying, oh, confidentiality between attorney and client, confidentiality, oh, we have confidentiality, all this. It's, a really, really important thing in in legal cases uh, that that clients are able to openly speak to their attorneys about any and all aspects of the case, and there can be an open dialogue between the attorney and the client. And what confidentiality means is that the sum and substance of the conversation between attorney and client cannot be disclosed to anyone. It's not going to come up in a court of law. It's not going to be evidence. Okay, so mm-hmm. it's really important. It's not going to be discoverable. It's not something you have right. to to the other side. Well, the minute that there's a third party present, confidentiality uh, is breached. You no longer have expectation of privacy. That's no longer a confidential conversation. So they kept, uh, you know. Well, you I was going to say, but let me ask you this. If so, is it anything that they if they only recorded a small portion and they're like, OK, we're going to have a meeting now outside of it. Does it, since they started it on camera or used any part of it on camera, does that mean they get access to all of it or is it just what they filmed? It would be just where they have okay. an expectation of privacy. So okay. the, the portion that's on television, obviously, if it's on television, right. Right. there's no expectation of privacy, right? But uh, anything that they have, any, any meetings that they have without third parties okay. present, yeah, that would still maintain confidentiality. They still don't. Interesting side note, this has actually been... Attorney-client confidentiality has had some new tests 
in the law due to a, a lot of uh, new types of technology. Okay, so think about this. So, you know, Ubers have cameras now. Right. To, to, and Ubers have cameras so that um, you can, it's, there's, it's a safety precaution. To protect, for, yeah. For both the driver and the passenger. But there had been some recent case law on attorneys or clients having conversations in oh. Uber on the phone. And there's, there's a very clear mm. placard in an Uber that says, just FYI, you're being recorded. Right. And so Ooh. there have there's <laughs> been litigation over whether or not some of those conversations do maintain confidentiality or whether that's <gasps> been that's extinguished and that that's all of those conversations are fair game. So it's interesting. It's really, yeah. So so Oh, yeah, okay. That's yeah. Fair, but you know, she's involved in a really, really serious case where the charges mm-hmm. Carry sentences of 30, 20 years. Per tra- I mean, it's it's a serious criminal matter. So the meeting with her attorney on camera, I was just a little bit surprised by it, although they didn't really say anything mm-hmm. more than what uh, really, really basic stuff. But as you pointed out, Lauren, one thing they spoke about and, and Jen said, oh, Stuart and I are still united, right? We're working together. And the yep. lawyer made sure to say, well, we're not really working together. Yes. We're, but we're at the, this point, we're not we're against, not against each, other. each other. Yes. Right. So there's a couple of different ways that lawyers work together. So sometimes if you're not, if there's not claims against each other or um, you're unified in your interests, lawyers can enter what's, what's called joint defense agreements and they can share information. And, you know, there's all, there's all sorts of ways that, that, um, defenses can be unified. Right. Mm-hmm. But the, the minute that, that there are conflicts, which in this case, there's, there's conflicts even before, right. Even before this plea agreement, there's obvious conflicts because, each individual is charged with these crimes and uh, one person could potentially implicate another person. Another. Right. So, so there's, it's, it's fraught with potential conflict issues. So the lawyer made a really good uh, point there and, and specifically made that point. So it was crystal clear. No, 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 we're not working together. (laughs) Just currently right now, we're not, we're not actually against each other. We're not actively defending against what he might say, but that could change if he pleads guilty and then he will testify against you against and he you. told her that. And that's what ended up happening. It's clear that they, um, that that is something that her legal team anticipated mm-hmm. may happen. And it could have gone either way. As her lawyer said in that clip, she said, I can't speak to him. And that's true. When you have defendants who are, who are charged in conspiracy, there's going to be no contact orders. And the reason that there's no contact orders is because there's not a backroom conversation where one person is speaking to the other person and everybody's getting their story straight. Right. Because you can't have Makes that. sense. Or yes, of course. One person's putting pressure on another person. I mean, we've seen oh. that happen so oh. many times in conspiracy cases. It happens all the time in RICO cases, which are of similar course. types of charges, right, where you've got somebody even threatening someone who might Threat- become a witness, right? Mm-hmm. So lots right. of different issues there. Um, so there's no contact order, so they can't speak. The lawyers can speak, and it sounded like they had been in mm-hmm. communication according to that representation on television. But obviously, Stuart Smith had changed his plea. And you, cho- you don't plead guilty to crimes that carry 
20 and 30 years in prison without some assurance something of leniency from prosecution and the only way that you get leniency from prosecutors or you get mm-hmm. recommendations for lighter sentences or whatever it may be the only way that that happens is if you cooperate they're called right. cooperation agreements and you can bet that he will be testifying is it mm-hmm. against jen shaw is it against somebody else who is implicated in this case i don't know i'm going to imagine mm-hmm. i'm going to imagine that if he is testifying it, he he is obligated everything he knows so whether or not that implicates her implicates somebody else it's all fair game and it's all coming out because the minute that you are not truthful or you don't cooperate with prosecutors Mm. those cooperation agreements can be extinguished because that's the whole of course yeah so so uh i don't know like that's it's it's funny that they were talking about it and then it all you know we're seeing it it's taped so much earlier of course yeah everything that's happened and then, as you alluded to, Lauren, um, just to remind everybody, when Jen Shaw was indicted, we focus on Jen Shaw and Stuart Smith because we saw, we saw them on TV. You know, they were on Real Housewives. They yep. had this tight, close-knit relationship that she said she said that he know he knew her better than her husband did. So yep. uh, we saw all that play out on television, but there were actually 13 defendants that were indicted. Right. And, Another individual who was indicted, uh, his name is Chad Allen. He just recently, and this was this was just a few days ago, changed his plea to guilty. So, mm. yeah, same, uh, same analysis uh, here. I, right, and I and I read in one of that the court documents said that he'll be testifying against Jen Shaw. So, I, it, that doesn't bode for you know. Well, <laughs> look, it's not looking yeah. good for her, um, to tell you the truth. Optically from the outside, again, I am the biggest it, proponent, and as everyone should be innocent until proven guilty, yep. we don't know. But in conspiracy cases, this is what happens. That you yeah. see You said this was going to happen. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of – it's the way it goes in these cases because – Everyone in these conspiracy cases plays, a, in general, plays a different role. Now you've got, and in this particular case, the feds had delineated between the top tier right people. I remember we talked about yes, people. yeah. They they in in the indictment, which you can read on the uh, U.S. Attorney website if you're interested. <laughs> uh, you can read it, but yeah, it delineates between top tier, middle tier, and lower tier, and and those tiers reflect how powerful somebody is in the scheme. So the masterminds are in that top tier and Jen Shaw is in that top tier. So is Stuart Smith. And the idea is that the federal government wants to go after those that are the masterminds of the scheme in general. That's what they're looking at. They're looking at the people who are orchestrating the scheme. And so anybody who falls in those other categories or even is in that top tier, but perhaps played a different role, the way that the feds have an airtight case or a more airtight case is to have testimony corroborating all of the other evidence. Yeah. Now, look, here's the way I would see this trial playing out because, and, and we saw it again, similar charges to the college admission scandal. And, And that was college admission scandal was a really interesting case because 
the federal government actually had the mastermind who was Rick Singer. He was the guy. Who right. Was, uh, you know, who, who the parents were going to, to, to help their yep, kids get into facilitated it. illegal means. He was, he was the guy, but the feds nabbed him early on. And then he became, uh, the, the feds conducted surveillance through him and he continued to work with parents. And that's how they got so many of the parents who were involved right. that, that, that they were, he was, you know, he was wired. They were taping those conversations. All of that came in as evidence. But when these, cases were um, coming toward, to trial, the arguments that happen when you have individuals who were charged with serious federal crimes that then enter into cooperation agreements with the prosecution and then testify is that they're up there completely self-interested. You know, mm-hmm. they have incentive to lie. Right. Is, is what the defense says. Is, right. Okay, incentive to lie because <laughs> Don't you have, a, and, the, and these are all fair game questions. Didn't you enter into a cooperation agreement in exchange for leniency with the prosecution? Yes, I did. Mm-hmm. So, so you're testifying here today because you know that at the end of the day, you're going to get, you're going to have, um, a, you're not, you're not going to face, face trial yourself and you're going to have these recommendations or whatever. So that's a, that's a big part. And then the jury decides whether or not there's credibility concerns. So, all of that being said, you get one person who flips. Okay. You mm-hmm. get two people who flip. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. it starts to pile up and it becomes um, a much more difficult case for a defendant. Right. But again, we'll see. Right. We'll see what happens. I would say in this case, um, just without knowing, because we don't know, we don't have the record publicly. We don't know what the federal government has. Publicly. Has. Yeah. lawyer said text message he, he said he said everything i would expect for them to have yes you know any type of electronic communications um remember that uh, that that whole group of people who are allegedly involved in this scheme who pled guilty a couple of years before before yep had have pled guilty and um were sentenced to and i think it was somewhere around 10 years for most of them five ten years depending um They've already cooperated too. So I would say in a case like this, the electronic footprint is going to be the primary evidence. Mm-hmm. And then all of the corroborating evidence is probably going to come from testimony for those who have entered into these cooperation agreements. It should be a really interesting trial to watch. I think there's going to be a lot of tech- technical evidence here. Inter- um, well, and it's supposed to start soon. I mean, we're talking less than a month. It was supposed to start March 7th. Right, that was the at least the first date that was out there. Yep, supposed to start March seventh, yep. um, and that means that that's right around the corner. And it is another another issue to watch is how how are they going to do on impaneling a jury? Is that going to be a difficult situation? Mm. And it probably will be. Um, it's probably going to be a longer process than normal to get a jury because of the high profile nature of the case. Well, be very interesting. We will be following, obviously, as every step goes. Um, and then, well, and Missy, I want to move on to one more of the housewife stories that actually just broke uh, last week with the former housewife. This was Elizabeth Vargas. Uh, we saw uh, she was on one season of Housewives of Orange County. She had a very vague storyline. I remember she was married to someone that was wealthy and she had a boyfriend on the show. Well, now she, uh, after that show, after she's not on the show anymore, she apparently had another boyfriend. Um, and we saw Newsbreak just. 
uh, last week that he was arrested inside of her home uh, threatening her. So can you kind of talk to us about what we know in this case so far? Yeah, I mean, it is it's, it is. it's a scary, terrible story. And much of it was caught on tape. Yes. Uh, and, <gasps> and I would tell everybody to go and maybe maybe we can even link it, Lauren. But um, yeah, it's it's a TMZ. TMZ released. Yeah, they, they were there from when the SWAT team arrived outside of our house uh, to an alleged standoff. That was kind yeah. of the first thing they said. There was a standoff. There was SWAT all outside of a former housewife's home and there was kind of no details. But then there was a follow up with some video from inside. So but take us through all of it because there's a yeah. lot. So Ryan Matthew Garrity was charged with counts of extortion, assault with a firearm, criminal threats, corporate injury on a spouse or cohabitant, possession of a firearm. I mean, all felony charges. These are really, really serious felony charges. And then then also misdemeanors, uh, possession of a controlled substance. So he allegedly held Liz captive for hours in her own home to the point where a SWAT team came uh, to and, and ultimately stopped the altercation. So according to police, they showed up to do a welfare check and a standoff ensued. So it was two hours, Lauren, until officers made it inside. And when they made it inside, they found Garrity actively threatening Liz's life. So this was allegedly after he was attempting to extort her over photographs. Um, And that was reported by several news agencies. So this was a really intense standoff. Think about that. Two hours Right. And, 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 you know, the SWAT team came in, but he did not acquiesce. He did not give himself up. The SWAT team right. actually eventually made it into the home. Once they realized, I, I think the, right. the, the accounts say that it became clear that he did have a weapon. Yes. I was, that's what I was reading. And act, and when we say active, the reports are saying that he was threatening saying, you know, something on the lines of, you know, I'm going to take you with me. I don't care. You know, I have nothing to lose anymore. So basically, and and this is, (gasps) it's almost a hostage situation like you would see play out in a movie. Right. And Oh, my gosh. With those types of active threats uh, happening where somebody says that they just, they don't care if the SWAT team comes in and shoots them. They are going to take you with me. I mean, it is. This is the most one of the more severe, intense situations you can imagine. So um, just to take us through some of these charges. So extortion presumably relates to these photographs, which he was allegedly uh, attempting to extort her. And Lauren, didn't she did? Did you say that there was some significant money exchanged? Yeah, well, there was reports that he had demanded a BMW and an undisclosed amount of cash for said photographs. This is a couple of the articles that I had read from based on some interviews that she had been doing. Um, and so that that was some of the demand. So I have to imagine what in the world could he have that you could also then try and think that you're demanding a car and a sum of cash. Right. And so we don't know what these photographs Mm-mm. are necessarily, uh, but there, there's, there certainly could be 
some enhancements coming down the line if those photographs were anything of a sexual nature. We uh, know specific statutes relating to, I mean, they call them revenge porn statutes. Right. Um, and so I don't, you know, I, I, by no means am I saying that that's what they were. Right. Um, I'm just flagging a potential issue that could come up because we don't know so far there hasn't been reporting on what those photographs are. Um, assault with a firearm, criminal threats, obviously we went through all, all, all of that that appears that definitely relates to what happened in the home, that there are these active threats going on. And then there's the charge of corporal injury on a spouse or cohabitant. So that sounds complicated, but those are really California's domestic violence statutes. Ah, uh, okay. And, I was going to yeah. ask you about that. Okay. And and so the domestic violence statutes um, can, the time that you could spend in prison when involved in domestic violence depends on the severity of the circumstances. So um, it's it's a real it's really a sliding scale. I mean, in some cases it can be two years, in others it can be five years. It could even be more. And in this case, there's an issue that could enhance all of these felony charges and could result in sentences uh, 10, 20, uh, or or even more more time in prison potentially. And that's because of the use of a personal firearm during this altercation. Mm. So California has very, very strict yes. laws relating yep. to that. And so when a firearm is involved, and it's only in a narrow, uh, narrow types of cases, so it doesn't apply to every crime, but in this particular instance, it, it definitely applies. And so that personal use of a firearm, some of these statutes that would only call for two, three, five years, you know, I'm not saying that's nothing, but mm-hmm. there's, there's smaller amounts for the severity of this situation, that could be enhanced to... 10 or 20 years, um, depending on the circumstances. And and actually, that enhancement of personal use of a firearm can carry life sentences if wow. the firearm is discharged. So in this <gasps> case, it doesn't sound like the firearm it, was discharged, right? Um, at least from the reporting that we've heard. Right. But, um, but it certainly increases the severity uh, very significantly. And also, it appears from uh, what we've been reading in the press that this individual had had other brushes uh, I, with the law. Yeah, I was going to say that I, I read there were several reports um, that he has had other, he had been charged with other felonies previously. Yeah, so this, it, it could be even more serious uh, than <sighs> the, type of, the type of situation that we're talking about here because when you're in sentencing, and, and meanwhile, we're not at sentencing yet. He's just been arrested, so we're not, we're not even at the point of a trial or anything right. like that yet. But if he were convicted on some or all of those charges, then the next step would be sentencing. And sentencing, you have that, um, that statute that relates to the use of a personal firearm. So that's going to be statutory, meaning that that sentence, probably there's not going to be a lot of discretion. You're going right. to be in that it 10, 20 year range. Wow. But then on top of it, there's aggravating factors because of his criminal history that could come into account. So this is very, very serious. And and the reality is it's caught on tape. Right. <gasps> domestic violence situations, mm-hmm. a, a terrible tragedy with domestic violence situations. And oh. one of the reasons why a lot of situations that we, we have covered together, Lauren, we've covered many, many cases and it's a tragedy because there's so many more they begin as more minor incidents and then yes. shortly thereafter they somebody's progress. murdered they progress yes. 
that somebody or, or somebody's murdered severely injured. I mean, it mm-hmm. domestic violence situations are some of they escalate. the most dangerous situations exactly because emotions are high and they escalate very quickly. But the problem from a law enforcement perspective is that many times they happen uh, between two people under the radar. Like mm-hmm. He said she because yep. he said she said. And also there's relationships are involved. Sometimes people can recant their original mm-hmm. reports. It can be hard to prove in court. And you end up with um, people being released and going and going back to that domestic situation. And then the problems don't go away and they continue to escalate. It's, I mean, it's, it's a problem that many states right. grapple with. Um, a lot of states have laws, uh, domestic violence laws that require somebody to be jailed for a certain period of Mm -hmm. time it's called a cool down period so no matter what they have these strict laws that's a way that um some states have tried to deal with these types of situations so that to to quell that emotion lauren to get people Mm -hmm. back to a cool head um but in this case we don't have the same situation that many many other domestic violence victims have which is nobody else is there to witness it nobody else is there to see what happened here we have a SWAT team yep. coming in and by virtue of these reports coming uh, in and actually experiencing and hearing and seeing what happened. We have someone holding her hostage, essentially. Right. And and saying that they're they're willing to die and they're gonna they're gonna take her with them. Yes. And not and it's one thing there would still be crimes committed if he had come out of the house hands up. Right. right. There was right. Still a, been crimes committed i'm not saying it would have absolved him but the severity of these crimes i would not be surprised to see more serious crimes uh coming down the pike because you know he was holding her in her own home even though it's her own yep. home uh she still can leave so there's potential kidnap there's so many other statutes that could potentially be implicated as the investigation proceeds so and i think so because really the d serious. the da had already mm-hmm. had spoke out uh, you know regarding this case pretty quickly and early on uh, you know be, uh, relating to the fact that he has been you know allegedly charged with other felonies in the past and so the da already addressed that this is something very serious and that they're going to take very serious so i assume exactly what you said is that they're going to really go for everything you know in this case yeah i, I mean look i Based on what we know right now, you could even yeah. you could even say that you're you're definitely at the highest levels of assault, you know, right for of- sure. But could you could you even go towards attempted murder? Based I was going to saying? ask you that. I, according to all of these reports, it sounds like. I mean, you're the expert, though, but it sounds like that could be something very. Yeah, it, it could because look, there's there's a situation where he's holding her hostage. He's saying. I don't care if I die. I'm going to take you with me, which is an overt threat. Attempted murder requires an overt act, but he's holding her hostage. It's a felony murder type situation. I mean, I think that there's, uh, I think that there's a lot of leeway there based on the fact that we know it, where that, it it could be a charge. Now, again, prosecutors have discretion to bring these charges because if prosecutors have him dead to rights on some of the aggravated assault type charges especially with these aggravating the, the statute that actually makes the sentence higher anyway, aggravating factors of the prior his criminal history, they may not need to go for a top charge mm. that they, mm. they potentially may have an issue proven, right? They may right, 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 right. 
had so, a similar result without charging on ha- that. And, and they don't Okay, want to that makes absolute sense. District attorney shouldn't yes. So, Absolutely. Uh, an analysis that I'm sure the district attorney is going through right now as they continue to investigate because we don't, you know, we don't know what he's saying. We don't know what else is what else is going to come out. We don't know what defenses he may raise. Uh, so definitely this is one to keep an eye on as it continues to unfold. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, you know, and I hope that everything I'm seeing in the reports that Elizabeth Liz Vargas, the former housewife, you know, has said that it was a traumatic incident, but she is moving on and she is going through and that is most important. But what a terrifying, terrifying thing to happen. Absolutely terrifying. And I hope that she is finding the support that she needs because especially in your own home. This traumatic, I can't even imagine. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's a very... a very, very, very traumatic situation. And and that's why domestic violence cases are so challenging because they generally involve somebody that uh, you have an emotional connection to. So it's just all around terrible tragedy. Heart goes out to her. Hopefully she finds some peace as, yes. as this case, uh, as this case proceeds. Yes. Well, I mean, listen, all of these cases, we will be following them. We have so much to keep our eye on just with Bravo. I mean, yes. we're not even talking about all of the other cases that we're going to I, unpack, but again, Lauren, Bravo becoming a true crime station. I know, it really is, and that's and we'll keep following all of them because we sure do love all of this drama at the very least. Yeah, absolutely. So we will keep you posted on how all of these cases unfold. Thanks all right, thank, thanks for listening, everyone.